Hello, my name is Patricia Rosvora and you're listening to Kitchen Conversations. This podcast aims to open up the mysterious and vague Eastern Bloc to a broader audience. For each episode, I'm inviting one artist or researcher and together we explore the relation, interest and the urgency to create within the framework of the post-Soviet sphere. Here, I also wanted to thank everyone for listening and supporting this podcast. It's very rewarding to see that with every episode, the community is growing, which was, of course, the whole point of this platform. If you are a regular listener, you might want to check out my Patreon page, where you can support my work and help me develop this amazing but time-consuming project. You can do that on patreon.com slash kitchenconversations. Today I'm speaking to Burkhard Körner, a choreographer, theatre maker, dancer, performer and singer from Middeweide Saxony in East Germany. Burkhardt studied culture and theatre studies at the University in Leipzig, elementary music and dance education at the Karl Orff Institute Mozarteum University in Salzburg and choreography at the SNDO in Amsterdam. Since 2011, Burkhardt is staging his own choreographic creations that stand at the intersection of theatre, dance, voice and music. In his latest work, he examines questions of the individual within the collective and looks for ways to translate memories into different forms. During our conversation, uh, we took the time to speak in detail about a performance piece he created together with Rika Weiniger and Noah Volker, titled Wie macht man gute Kunst für Ostdeutsche? How to make good art for East Germans, that premiered this year on the 16th of June in Neubrandenburg. I am very warmly inviting you for this one-hour journey into the history of East Germany and the memories and experiences of the Nachwende generation. Please welcome Burkhard Körner. Welcome, Burkhardt, to Kitchen Conversations. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday we met uh, in a cafe in Berlin. You're now visiting. And we started talking about uh, recent work you did with two other people. And it's just fresh. You just finished a little tour mm -hmm. in East Germany. So we thought, yeah, why not uh, recording something uh, and sharing it with people? Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for coming to thank my house. Thank you so house. much for the invitation. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, how how are you doing today? Uh, yeah, very well. Like enjoying also Berlin and the um, really nice autumn period with all the leaves that are like uh, very colorful now. So it's a uh, it's a nice time to be here. For sure, definitely. Uh, we're gonna speak today mostly about uh, your work, Wie macht man gute Kunst für Ostdeutsche? How to make good art for East Germans. Mm -hmm. You created the piece together with uh, Rika Weiniger and Noah Volker. Mm -hmm. And how long are you already working on this or when did the process begin? Uh, the process started very slowly. Um, it started actually with uh, Noah and Rika being part of the Internationales Forum, International Forum, which is like an exchange program for young theater makers and actors. Um, and it's always, it's part of Berlin Festival Theatertreffen, um, where all the pieces are shown, all the new theater pieces. And there's always like this scholarship program for half of it is German, German speaking and half of it is non-German speaking. Uh, in 2018, Rika and Noah were both part of this program and there was an introduction round um, where everyone was introducing with a performance or something, something. And Rika was introducing herself. So I always heard she was speaking in German first. Um, and then people said, you need to talk in English. And she was like, ah, okay. <laughs> and she introduced herself with her struggle being East German or with East Germany. Like, I come from East Germany and I'm struggling with it. And this sentence kind of like was really, really interesting to Noah. 
And at some point he came came to her and said, look, um, do you know people who work about this topic or are people busy, you know, with like this post-socialist reality or is there other theater makers who make pieces about it? And then she said, um, not that I know of. And then he said, look, uh, if you ever want to make a piece here, it's my um, contact and maybe we can like, you know, do something together. And Noah is uh, is not uh, German nor East German, right? Noah he, is exactly. He is American. Uh, he was born in 1990 in Texas, in Austin, Texas, and he grew up there. But what is always interesting that his first trip to Europe was not going to Paris or Amsterdam, but his first trip to Europe was with school. They went to East Berlin, Dresden, Krakow, Warsaw, Budapest. So did like the Eastern tour, let's say. And I think he was very impressed being 18 and seeing a different reality, different, uh, I don't know, also like the similarities of post-socialist architecture also like i don't know tramway system so i don't know like he's he was really uh, having a very strong impression from the trip and he was always interested in this post-socialist reality yeah that there was another system existing at some point he always tells us he was born kind of at the end of history as fukuyama i think uh, says He always learned like, yeah, there was this weird other system going on, but in the end we won because everything was gray over there and people wanted Coca-Cola and jeans and now luckily they got it and this weird part of history is over and didn't work out. And then he was like, wait, but actually, you know, and then he started to question this narrative and also I think he was very uh, starting to question the American narrative a lot. I mean, he comes from like a middle-class family and everything, you know. I think he started to question the way of living and how how different uh, things are working out in Europe and how different things were in Eastern, uh, in, in let's say, uh, well, in the times, uh, how can we name this now? Now we're like busy with like... <laughs> this, it's always the thing, yeah, the names right, the, are quite problematic. Soviet pact, I don't know. But, but let's say uh, how, how uh, yeah, how things looked like over here. Before. Behind the wall. Behind the wall, I think that's probably... And uh, before we start kind of understanding how you came into the picture and what was your mm -hmm. uh, background and how you kind of joined the two, just for, for those who have no idea what we are speaking here about and uh, never heard about your performance, if you meet someone like this, how do you describe the piece? What is this the, the theater piece or the performance about shortly? Shortly, shortly, it's it's a project. Well, it's a theater performance that wants to open up the discourse about an East German identity. So this project wants to open a discourse about the last 30 years and about the experiences um, that, of course, were very, very different. Um, the experiences, especially in the 90s and onwards, And to to start a discourse within the East German community or the East German society, uh, I mean, might sound a bit like strange and virtual, but um, let's say start a discourse with people who had similar experiences in the last 30 years and start a discourse between the generations. I think that's the, the aim of the project. And uh, it's a theater performance of 90 minutes. So how to make good art for East Germans, a theater evening. And the subtitle is 30 attempts to work through the processing of East German history, let's say. In German it would be 30 Versuche, sich an der Aufarbeitung abzuarbeiten. It is like kind of, it's two words which are used. Yeah, it's like uh, Aufarbeitung, which means like, like to open up something and to really go into, like really to dig into history. I know, for example, Nazi German history, there's also like an Aufarbeitung and then... So it's like really processing history. And abarbeiten is really like kind of, yeah, you have a pile of papers and you kind of like uh, need to go through them kind of. Hey. So it's like it's digging and chopping layers and getting deeper in it. Yeah, working through. <laughs> working through. You call yourself the theater band or the theater band. Oh, really? Yeah, I saw that on the website. I thought, like, is this a, something we specific? We say that, theater yeah. band. So what is nice that we got 
to know each other over the topic. And we decided that this topic is super relevant and we want to make a piece together. And what is also very beautiful is that we don't have any institution in the background. We had a production house who was, of course, helping us with the, to put the piece together and get funding. But we don't have like a proper institution. We don't have a proper theater house. We are not supported by a production house. We are really very much autonomous and independent. And um, also the working process was very, very collective. Like we all decided we all want to have a similar approach to the piece. We all want to uh, co-write the piece, co-create the piece. And no one uh, wanted to be a director or be an actor or be a performer. We really wanted to overcome the traditional roles and make this project together um, from the beginning till the end and kind of till now we very much succeeded in that way. And this is also very uncommon if you talk to normal theaters, traditional German theaters, they are like, hmm, so, but um, she's an actress, so, or, but you are a director, or you are the choreographer, how can you be on stage? So You try to kind of uh, blur the, the lines. Of, exactly, yeah. like, because it's not very often that an actress becomes a theater maker or a choreographer is performing it's like at least that's the rea the reactions we got and um yeah we are very happy because like institutional theater in germany is very strong and very big and, and it's very hard to to work next to that i don't have so much experience in germany but like that's the picture i have uh, the independent theater scene is like really hard to you know get funding or have structures or institutions um so we are very happy also we could manage that I would say even like open a very new circuit. So we are not performing in traditional theaters. We perform uh, deliberately in smaller towns. And then we don't go to the local theater, but we go to social cultural centers, to neighborhood communities, to um, sport halls. We went to a church lately. So according to what the community, the local community wants to provide, or what the local association or the local um, community is that invites us or is the host, then according to that, we are in a different space, of course. But for us, it was very important to go to these non-theatrical spaces, to these non-artist spaces, to come together with people through the topic and not through like, oh, it's going to be really interesting art and you should watch it. Because there is a, in East Germany, I feel there's a threshold, an insecurity to go to see theater. Like, it's not easy in the regions to... Like, outside of Berlin, it's sometimes very hard to get audiences, I think. I mean, like, maybe in the bigger cities, it's still good. But in smaller cities, you see also the theaters are very much needing to provide a program that is funny, that is very light, that is, of course, a bit educational. They are not doing a lot of experimentation. So there's very few places where you have, like, brave directors or... They kind of need to cater their their um, their audiences that buy like the year card and you know that they're like they buy the membership to the theater or whatever. So like uh, abo publicum, you say in German. I don't know how to translate, but like the sub subscribers, subscription, subscriptions. Uh, public, so yeah. and then it's often very hard to see. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean me f f now living not not living in Germany anymore, but I feel like yeah, experimentation or. Working with theater and trying out different things will not happen so much in like smaller towns because people are scared that it's not going to be funny or people will not come anymore, it's too political. Or So we want a different audience and we want to, we want to open up to people. We don't want to cater anyone. We want to do what we really stand for and then what we really want to invite people who are not used to get to the theater, used to go to the theater to, to come in a conversation or to, yeah, to... To see this piece first as a as a proposal to enter the topic and the discourse and not to entertain anyone. Of course, you're going to be entertained watching it, but we really want to open up a, dis a discussion with that. Yeah. And I think you definitely succeeded from what what you were telling me mm -hmm. and from what I saw a little bit on uh, on the video you sent me. Yeah, you had quite a big audience every time or like there was people coming and also taking part in the discussion afterwards. They really wanted to tell their opinions. And I'm wondering, since uh, I know that uh, you have a background uh, in 
performance and also uh, uh, yes. choreograph more exactly definitely and you were based uh, or like you were studying uh, in Amsterdam so similar to me that's how we know each other so yeah you you have this uh, let's say western ways of making art and mm-hmm. similar to Noah uh, I don't know so much of Rika but um, speaking from my experience we are taught to like first um, yeah make art for for ourselves and for mm-hmm. other artists and it's quite a closed community mm-hmm. and suddenly you you bring an art piece to people who as you said not necessarily are so confronted with art or don't really uh, go to to theater and how do you kind of combine this towards and if you if you had to make compromises or it just came naturally it's a very nice question and it touches a lot of points because it's funny and this is i don't know i find this very interesting in a way, I feel the way how I learn to make art, yeah, like by creating a concept and then studying a practice, and from this practice we develop it into a piece. And so there is a certain methodology maybe behind, which is super interesting, and I really loved it, and I still love to see this kind of pieces. Yeah, I think I always had this wish, how can we create an art that is also readable, that is universal, that can... That is not only my self-involved thing and then take it or leave it, but also how can I create a language that that can communicate, that can touch people, that can reach people, that can get people busy in like thinking about things. So I always had like this wish and I kind of find it interesting because I struggle now a bit less, but I was struggling struggling a lot with this combination of the artist is also the artwork, let's say which is a very Western approach, or that you and your practices are yeah, becoming the artwork and you are almost inseparable to your artwork and and yeah, and everything is like needs to come out of you. And yeah, I don't know. I read it as a very very market oriented or very easy to then to sell and to like, you know, branding. Huh? Let's call it branding. Yeah. And then it's clear that such and such person is busy with one, two, three, and such person this. And and I feel this project we are working now on, it opened up a very different trajectory. And I was talking yesterday and said, I, I kind of fucked up my career because I didn't follow after graduation from school. I was very much not knowing what to do because my practice wasn't, I felt like not not having the practice ready for the market or I don't know, I felt like, yeah, but I'm interested in many things and not only one thing and um, didn't go out there and was selling myself immediately. Um, And I feel the moment this project came towards me and, um, and I got part of the project, I felt like, wow, we are starting to work from a topic that is like really, really touching all of us. And I felt an energy coming in where that I never had before. I was like, wow, I'm, I have the energy to work on this project for the next five years, which is really, really, and I don't know, it's really special, I think, as an artist to feel that or like to feel, wow, <gasps> this is like really, I see, yeah, I see, I see something on the long run and on the long term, which is also very uncommon because in choreography, you have four weeks of rehearsal, you do your project and then you move on to the next one or very, very tight production terms. And I'm always interested in long processes and yeah, being being get, really getting pregnant with the work before you create one. <laughs> That's a nice term. That's a very German expression, of course, <laughs> getting pregnant. And I really believe in, in, in very long processes sometimes. And I find it so interesting because this project was um, also how we applied for funding. It was way more telling. I mean, I was no one in Germany. No one knew me and no one knew the school I came from because we didn't apply for art funds, but for a fund who was like busy with the processing of history, of East German history. We applied for the Green Party Fund. We applied for Democracy Fund. So very different funds where we needed to describe the topic and what we want to do with it and why we think that's relevant to us. And this was such a nice experience to me because it was again around the topic and not around me. So I needed to didn't need to defend me or justify my artistic choices or life choices, but I, we could like full on go to the topic and skip uh, if we are like amazing artists or not and if we are good enough for that. And I was really, really happy with this and um, getting in touch with people, with journalists, with medias, with 
people who are initiatives who think along our our interests through the the topic through the content and not through art institutions or with whom I worked or an artist network and something so and this is interesting because it also relates to maybe how I always understood art and this is funny because this links to my family background being uh, the son of a Protestant minister or reverend I don't know how you say where I always felt yeah the artist is also the one and it might also be even a GDR uh, heritage East German heritage that I always felt, yeah, the artist is the one who also, you know, is outside and inside of society and can look upon what is happening in society and then formulate or find an expression or propose something to maybe provoke or sometimes put the finger in the wound or, or, or push in a, in a creative or, uh, you know, maybe emotional or, or, or sense central or whatever way, um, but to create something to to stimulate a discourse. And that's always how I, I think at the end saw the role of the artist as the one who's uh, kind of like, I think you call it sometimes trickster in theater language or something, like the one who's like inside and outside, the one who, who looks at things, but who's also part of things, but who also has the ability to look from the outside and can create something or respond to, to developments. And this is fundamentally different to how I experienced the art market in the West, Western Europe, where, of course, be critical, but because it's such a homogenic art market, because like the art circuit is kind of like, as you say, like we do art for other artists and uh, we don't have many people from the outside who come and see our things. And it's really nice and it's a safe haven, but, but I feel um, I'm working in a very different level now, reaching out to communities and, and bringing the topic in first and then through the theater piece and through how we how we express or the form we found with this theater piece to stimulate the discourse. I find this super exciting. You mentioned uh, very briefly uh, your family. Yes. <laughs> and I would like to stop there. And if you are uh, willing to tell us a little bit more about your family and yeah, therefore also where you come from and how you found your way uh, to this work also and mm -hmm. what it means for you identity wise mm. and so on exactly yeah it's uh that's a whole other podcast <laughs> <laughs> no it's good to, it's good to keep it brief there um like i was born in a small town uh close to chemnitz mit weida um 14000 uh, inhabitants in Saxony, south of Saxony, two hours south of Berlin, basically. And my father was, between 1972 and 2001, he was like, for 30 years, the local Protestant minister and uh, leading the church there and um, very engaged, of course, because both my parents are very politically engaged and always were, yeah, offering a lot of opportunities for people to, I don't know, to help for people to, especially in GDR times, to open up spaces, to talk, to express. Uh, my father always brought in also books, films, uh, music, also like cultural input. They were pretty much like also opening spaces, which is very interesting, I think, to hear about that Protestant church in East Germany was really opening up a lot of uh, like kind of a second uh, reality or like an alternative reality LGBT communities were starting within Protestant church environmentalist movement started within church of course the whole peace movement started within the Protestant church rockers I don't know like there was a whole many many subcultures started under the umbrella of church not only but it was one of the umbrellas that allowed that free spaces let's say and I think my my parents really identified with that and my father was also like facilitating these spaces a lot and supporting a lot of people there so this is very this is very exciting and at the same time my family uh, is family of ministers that goes back to 1518 so like 500 years of like with some interruptions but mostly like 500 years of theological heritage and uh, say our generation the first one who doesn't take over the job so on a personal level there was a lot of so as a kid i was really amazed by like and also proud like wow we have ancestors and we have like the genealogy and goes back to 1518 and you can see oh my god our family was like related to such and such and and then, wow, and it goes there, and we have family members in South Africa and in Norway and in England and in the US. And 
so there was of course a lot of pride and like also this I think also I felt like there's a connection to the world coming from like actually growing up in a small very small town in East Germany that was really yeah very very small let's say and then feeling like wow we have this connection to the world was of course giving me a lot of gave me a vision let's say because I could never identify with that small city I never felt at home there um, as a kid, yes, but then very quickly, I think up from 10, I lost the local dialect and I was deliberately speaking high German because I think I couldn't identify with the place and with the people and I kind of was very much longing also to be somewhere else, uh, to be in West Germany, to be with the cool families or with other people um, or to be with my cousins. I don't know. I... I and this also is related to like, uh, and I think other families of Protestant ministers can talk about it. Like it's really like funny enough. Angela Merkel was also the daughter of a Protestant minister. Ah, fun fact. Exactly, uh, that's the fun fact. I think as a in Germany, say you Pfarrerskind, huh? like a, a child of someone who has a specific role in society, and not only like a mayor or something, but also like a moral and even religious component that comes in. It's quite, I wouldn't say a burden, but it's quite something, you are never yourself, you're never a private person. You're always seen in relation to the profession of your parents uh, or your father. You are also asking school then, tell us something about Christianity, tell us something about, my mom was in the Green Party, or not in the Green Party, but she was like very much engaged in, in the environmental movement. And we're like, ah, tell something about like, um, how we should save the, uh, the environment. Advocating kind of... Uh, so I was always seen in school as... Not as who I was, but always in function of... It was making me uh, really annoyed at some point that I left <laughs> this little town at age 16 and moved to Dresden, which was really, really nice to start a new life from from zero a bit, like really to be seen as a, as the person I was and not as the function I was. Your uh, family history or your your position uh, is, a, is a quite a specific one, I would say, in, in the, the, the air. Mm -hmm. And uh, briefly yesterday, we, we also spoke about um, Rika's mm -hmm. uh, history. Uh, of course, she's not here, so I don't want you to tell her history, but maybe you could a bit uh, tell yeah her, her perspective on the piece also and mm -hmm. how those two positions came together. Yeah, this is a very interesting uh, point because so Rika comes from Neubrandenburg, so it's already a different region. And Rika grew up uh, in, she calls it a working class family. So her father was like a tool maker in a factory. Her mom was a kindergartner. So I think what is very interesting, and this was very new to me, let's say in the like I kind of thought, yeah, we are all East Germans and we have like a similar background, similar experiences. But what was new to me is that there are very different realities within the East German collective, if you want to call it this way, or the East German society. And it was like, for example, like Rika always says, she's the first one in her family who studied, the first one who was going to high school. And for example, she was saying, look, my parents, they allowed me to go to high school. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, it's for free. Where's the problem, you know? She was saying, no, but it meant paying me two years longer in my educational process. And I was like, wow. I didn't even think about it that as a parent, you you start thinking, okay, up from 16, this kid is going to be independent. It never came to my mind. And that shows very much, <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, academic background, but also how, how, how we really... Um, approached questions of class and classicism and yeah class division so i don't know like this class problema problematic and it also came a lot in the topic i was realizing and funny enough my mother also has a similar background because my mother is also the first one from a working class family family of barbers or like middle class i don't know but also the first one who studied the first one who um, became a doctor the first one who yeah kind of moved into a different class. This step doesn't only uh, involve that you have a longer education and you acquire knowledge, but it also comes together with learning a new language in your own country, um, learning a new vocabulary and able 
to be express yourself among academic circles or among intellectuals or among artists. Like Rika always told me how she needed to translate sometimes between her parents and, you know, her acting friends or feeling in between worlds when her parents came to see a premiere in the theater and she felt like, how can I close this bridge? And this is such an interesting um, component and also thinking about other people that we were talking to or that I talked to around this topic is like, I come from a background where my parents talked a lot and I got exposed to a lot of knowledge and history and the radio is always on or, you know, like my parents are like brains and it's like generating day and night. And then understanding, well, if you have parents who don't talk so much or have experienced a lot of traumatic experience in the beginning of the 90s, who lost their jobs, who had to go in like a reinsertion, or I say like, um, like programs, it was called RBM, like kind of like, yeah, in between programs, you got, you lost your job in the factory and then, yeah, you, now you had go in a training, pro, retraining yeah. program, but often was only for a year or uh, you totally went like really down with your qualification that you had before. And so there was very, very loads of ruptures, loads of traumatic experiences. And what I find so interesting that who has the ability to talk, who gets Yeah, who has the words, who has the knowledge, who has the vocabulary to talk. And funny enough, I feel that, yeah, if you come from a background where, yeah, where there wasn't talked about the traumatic experiences, where there was no vocabulary to talk about it and no space, you are not appearing in the history also, in the collective history, in the collective memory of East German history. And I feel like I come from a background that was very much represented, like the church as the ground for, that was initiating the peaceful revolution, that allowed, uh, you know, the change to happen. And these voices from the opposition were always heard and active. But I have the impression voices from people that don't fit in this language or that don't come with uh, the language we are used to um, are not represented and this was a very it's a very very interesting and very touching and sometimes very painful um, reality let's say with your piece um, you not only um, gave voices to each other and to your own histories but you also gave uh, voices to to people uh, from that region from east germany you uh, talked to yeah various stories uh, people who experienced the transformation and who lived in the DDR. I'm curious how you incorporated those stories into the performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe it's nice to also talk a bit how this, um, because it's like a pre-project, was like the research phase of our piece. When the three of us met and we kind of felt, wow, there's so much going on, especially after the events in 2018 in Chemnitz. That was kind of like the, the kickoff point for us where we felt like, wow, okay, this is happening, where we come from, and then how also Western medias were talking about it, of like, okay, these people in Saxony, they don't know anything about democracy, what's going on, they're all right-wingers. And Rika and I felt like, wait, but we remember that violence that was that you could see in 2018, where, so in Chemnitz, maybe it's just good to talk about this, this event, um, There was a there was a city party and in the city party a person got killed and apparently this person German Cuban got killed by I think a Syrian and Iranian refugee or something and then within I think 24 hours or two days right wing networks were organizing some themselves and they came with thousands of people into the city for a march. Like I think the next day or the day after, buses and people from all, not only from Saxony or from Chemnitz, but also from West Germany, right-wingers, AfD, Nazi support groups. I don't know the details, but like all of a sudden you had like a massive group of people who were marching and commemorating and saying, oh my God, um, these migrants, they killed a German. This is crazy. And police was totally not aware or didn't want it to be aware because police in Saxony is always very much entangled with right-wing networks so it's a bit it's a bit problematic in Saxony but let's say there were like 5,000 people marching and then it was not only like a demonstration but it got really out of hands and people were chased in the streets anyone with uh, any person of color was attacked harassed there was really strong violence in the streets 
and it really like and police didn't do anything and there was really like a law lawless situation i say like out of out of order totally out of order and everyone was super scared and it was big time in the media and it was yeah it was quite a moment where where people were really shocked and uh, then it was really interesting because the west like the main i'm calling it west german medias which is funny but like let's say the big newspapers Süddeutsche zeit I don't know, Frankfurt, like these big newspapers that are, of course, mostly with West German journalists, were very, very clearly making a black and white picture and kind of like taking the whole region into hostage. I say like accusing the whole region to be like not ready for democracy and the whole region to be backwards. There were voices of saying maybe it's time for Sexit, like Saxony should like leave Germany. And like it was really going all over the place. And people were like shocked, what's happening? And then in Amsterdam, I had a colleague, German colleague who, who told me, um, oh my God, this is not my Germany. What is going on there? Why is it happening? And and she comes from the Western, West Germany. And then I felt like, but guys, there's no surprise. I know this violence from the 90s when I was a kid in the small towns, especially if there would be a flock of boys coming down the street, you would like, lower your head and go to the other side, you know, and try to disappear and not to be noticed. And and I even had an experience lately, a couple of years ago in Leipzig. So like this this violence, especially in smaller towns or in the countryside or in public transport a lot. I remembered all of that and I remembered, wait, wait we, we really started a whole survival mechanism. Like if you go in the train, you go close to the conductor. If you go on the tramway, you take the first carriage. If it's past, uh, if it's dark or something. So you always, if there's like crazy people on the street, you go to the other side and try not to look in their eyes. So this kind of survival mechanisms, and I totally forgot them since I moved to Western Europe or since I lived there, which I'm very happy because I could kind of, I feel more relaxed in this way. But digging into the project and like seeing this violence again or like opening up, wow, reconnecting to the violence that we experienced as kids um, in the countryside and in smaller towns was very massive. Like Rika also always tells me that at the lake in Neubrandenburg, the Nazis came in big flocks and destroyed like high school parties. And I think there was even a person killed once. I mean, really, there a lot of violence, a lot of violence, which is related to the 90s and this crazy non-orientation no one there was no authorities no hierarchies no one knew what to do everyone was super lost parents were super lost so the kids just went the kids just went like on their own and went crazy in a way because there was no one telling them what to do so there was a lot of freedom but there was a lot of fear and des desperation also your story really um yeah also gave me a lot to think about poland as well and the survival mechanisms in the public transport and so on, and how I forgot about them living uh, in Amsterdam and how I kind of recon I'm reconnecting to them living here, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, we were speaking about the people you interviewed. Exactly. So I think the event in, in 2018, and then also uh, Rika says this a lot, like all of a sudden the map was like shown, ah, look, all these people, they vote for AfD, for the populist party, like all of a sudden we, we, we saw a lot of maps in the in the newspaper again that was showing, ah, there is an East Germany that isn't ready for democracy and a West Germany that, you know, is fine. So there was a lot of, I don't know, we felt like in 2018 there was a lot of Western medias telling how East Germany functions or how East Germany doesn't function or how East Germany, I don't know. And I think this outside perspectives and this... Zuschreibungen, and prescriptions. I don't know if this is a good one, but like, I know we, I don't know, we felt very much objectified and we're feeling like by the West. Uh, we Germans didn't. We couldn't identify with the articles. We couldn't identify with how it was written about East Germany. And then looking deeper, it was like, ah, oh, yeah, it's not even an East German journalist. And uh, I think this events really made a shift. I mean, now the media are way more aware, and like there was a big shift in the narratives and. Uh, way more space for an East German perspective. But for us, it was like a wake-up call. It was like, wait, we come from there. We know the story. We know, we have, we share these experiences of violence and it's way more complex. It's not like they're all Nazis and they're crazy. It's like, it's a very complex story and it's very complex layers and there's a lot of anger and I don't agree with 
the results by the relate to the anger and I understand where this anger comes from. I have an empathy with this anger. I don't agree with the consequences or why people vote for populists, but I, I, I have an understanding why the anger is there. And this was the step out of the urban bubble, out of, oh, I live in Amsterdam, nice. Oh, I live in Berlin, great. It was like this step out of my, yeah, of a nice, cute little world where everything functions and where I'm always doing the right choices. It felt like, okay, I can't. There is something that is that is also this. So I kind of relate to that and I want... I want to go there and understand what's happening. And then the three of us talked a lot. Noah from the outside wanting to understand a lot. We needed to talk in English about East Germany, which was very funny because Noah doesn't speak German. But it was so interesting because we really had to talk ourselves into the topic. Um, and we experienced a lot of censorship. We were saying, I oh, know I can't say this. This is probably crazy. Or, oh my God, what will my friends in Germany say about this? So we also needed to talk ourselves into the topic, go through a lot of a lot of layers in understanding the self-censorship, understanding, yeah, to open up narratives that we took for granted and like open them up, open them up, open them up and look deeper, deeper, deeper. While talking so much, we also were asking ourselves, but what's going on where we come from? What's going on in 14,000 people mit Weida? What's going on in 60,000 inhabitants in Brandenburg? And at this time, Rika has lived for example, in Oldenburg, in Braunschweig, in Western Germany. I lived in Salzburg, France, a bit in Leipzig, and then for the last 10 years in Amsterdam. So we were both not there anymore. Enrica also lived in Belgium, so we even left the country at this point. And then we were saying, okay, let's really go back. Um, let's see you know, what people are busy with. And then we understood, okay, we don't want to go in the market square with the camera and asking why people vote for the populists or like, you know, kind of fish for the most extreme viewpoints. And then we're thinking, how can we do this? It's very problematic. We left. So how can we talk about this? Um, we are also the ones who like were leaving the shit. And then we're thinking, okay, we need to find a different proposal. We need to find a different space. And we felt uncomfortable to go into people's houses and talk to them. So we were like, but how about if we create a space, uh, a third space? where we can come together. Then we were thinking, ah, hmm, GDR, small towns, is empty shops. Like, a lot of empty shops hanging, being there because people left and economic crisis, at least that was in our mind. Then we didn't find any empty shop. We actually were like figuring out other spaces, but we called it the Laden der Unerhörten Geschichten, the store of the unheard stories. And the word unerhört is like unheard, but also it means in German outrageous. So it has like a double meaning, which I find interesting. And then we opened the space for a week in Brandenburg and then also in Midweida, where I come from. And we were inviting people to come to our space and to talk about, not about migrants, not to talk about AfD, not to talk about, I don't know, all the dasy things, not about the GDR, but we invited people to talk about um, the 90s and everything that happened after the happy end of the fall of the wall. Because we felt this is a part of history no one talks about and no one looks at that. And then we had really, really interesting conversations, very different groups. We even had a workshop in a school. We talked to students in the university. We, of course, talked to loads of older people. There were also friends coming, family. We were collaborating with different associations. We talked even to... Americans who live now in these cities. So we had like very different, very different perspectives from very different angles. Each perspective was like making it more complex, of course, and more rich. And then we were left after that uh, two intense weeks, we were left with like loads of hours, I don't know, 60 hours of material. And we're thinking, ah, how can we involve, include that in the piece? How can we, you know, make a piece out of that? And then we were like understanding we don't want to make a documentary theater. But we want to, um, we were really like thinking and feeling loyal to the stories, but we also understood actually we need to tell our own stories here because that's the missing thing. Of course, you know, we need to listen to people and their stories, but we felt what is actually needed is our, um, the perspective of our generation, of the generation who were kids uh, when the change happened, um, who saw the parents like having to struggle throughout this whole transformation and who needed to adapt to a new system. And we felt like, okay, our perspective is needed here. I think 
Also we gave voices to people from the regions, we gave voices to elderly people, we gave voices to people who really had to struggle with the transformation, but we wanted to bring in a new perspective. And then the whole piece now is really much focused. So we, we did a writing workshop, uh, the three of us, and we're creating loads of texts and the piece is really based upon our own stories, our own texts, our own experiences. And funny enough, I think it opens up way more than or it brings in a very different experience than just like showcasing uh, specific people uh, or like including their voices. So the stories of the people can be seen as um, research material or as a kind of uh, background for sparkling your own stories. Absolutely. And I would say absolutely as a background for our own stories because each story is still present on stage, but on an emotional level or because we understood, oh, we really want to work about this shame that we have as East Germans. Like people were like often saying in the shops, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, I shouldn't say that. Or, oh, finally I can talk. So there's so much self-censorship and so much shame around the topic of what happened in the 90s, feeling inferior towards a West German as an East German. So you kind of want to cover up that identity a lot. So, of course, we we wanted to talk about shame. So you see shame in our bodies on stage. Um, you see insecurity. You see anger and you see the impossibility to deal with the trauma or wanting to deal with the trauma. But it came back, not in words, but in emotions, in ambiences, in how the piece looks like and how the piece feels at this point. I would like to now uh, speak about the talks you have after the performance. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel that it's also part of the, the work, then the conversation afterwards. Because yeah. you said like you, you have it every time, right? Every time after the, exactly. the performance, you open it up to the audience. And from what you told me, there is quite some emotions coming up. People want to say their opinions and there's also certain people who speak more than the others. Yeah, let's talk about that. How do you usually open those conversations? It's quite something and sometimes I'm even thinking, hmm, like kind of, of course, the artwork is already there. So ideally you want to let the artwork resonate and then people decide themselves how do they deal with that or if they want to open up or if they want to get busy with something. That's how I would normally do it. But somehow in the end of the piece, there's applause and kind of immediately we say like, wow, thank you so much for coming. A lot of things have happened in the last 90 minutes and it's probably quite an emotional roller coaster. But we would be so curious to hear a bit how you're feeling right now or what's going on in your minds or how, yeah, what have you experienced in the last 90 minutes and what came up with you? I think we make this choice to not do it on an individual level because we definitely want to stimulate collective talk because the people who come are very heterogeneous or like it's a very diverse audience now mostly and we kind of want as we sit there without a break without going to the bar without let's meet in five minutes we kind of jump in immediately also because people are afraid to speak so that's also very important because 40 years of presence of security services and being surveyed and not being able to well not being able to speak in public because it wasn't probably you couldn't speak because of the state ideology, but then also being surveyed by your neighbor, family, friend, and not knowing who was part of security services and not makes it very, very complex and very hard for people to speak in public. And often if people hear like, oh my God, it's a public talk or I need to say something or there's a microphone, people want to leave before. Um, we had it one time in an earlier pre-pre-pre-showing of some earlier process that we allowed people to leave and then people left not because they didn't like the piece, but they were scared to talk. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want to give the opportunity for people to leave. We kind of want to see how do we deal with each other as this collective that is like that came together to see this piece. What is coming up? What is coming up? Very diverse. Very diverse. I find it interesting in the last week, often people start saying something that feels like as if they haven't seen the piece. So they say, well, it's great, but I think our kids are not busy anymore because they feel more as Europeans and it's a nice evening, but I think, you know, our kids are like not busy with that topic or, or other people say, wow, it was really nice, but somehow I wonder 
why you work about this project because you were way too young to speak about the GDR. And it feels like people haven't seen the piece. <laughs> or people say, yeah, let's stop with these Eastern Western stories. And it's so it's so interesting. I feel like people go through emotionally. And of course we we like we are busy with this topic for the last three years, so it's a lot. Uh, we went through a lot of things also, and we don't expect from people to go through that in 90 minutes. But I feel, yeah, there's a lot of things happening on an emotional level. A lot of things are triggered. Many people are really, yeah, also feeling provoked, I guess, or feeling exposed to things they didn't want to look at anymore. So sometimes we need to direct that. And it's interesting because we, what is interesting is also to see that like in the last performance now we had like West German people sitting in the audience and you kind of feel immediately that they cannot access the experience we talk about or the subtleness of shame or not saying yes to your identity or and then it's so interesting to to see how they are talking how they are often not having a problem to talk how many people are also trying to harmonize so there is a problem coming up we talk about East German identity that is problematic for many people because why do we talk about East German identity, which means we need to open up this whole GDR thing, which we don't want because we left it and we are now part of a bigger Germany and it's fine. And we are kind of like saying, no, we need to talk about this collective experiences we have and this collective imprints and this collective... Traumas. Traumas, but also the collective socialization. And we have many people in the audience from younger generations, but also from older generations, from West Germans. They want to harmonize and they want to iron. They really want to iron the rimples. So you say they really want to like, yeah, but it's maybe more a question of young generation and older generation. Yeah, or we should talk about the East and West thing. Or, yeah, so we also experience a lot of avoidance in this audience talks and then it's very interesting to see how there was a woman who was saying sometimes in the piece she it for her it was a lot of memories and traumas and experiences that uh, she kind of almost forgot and like she almost wasn't sure she can handle it and she was thankful but she was like very she needed to process it a lot let's say um, there are people who say wow so nice that you come up with the topic in such a light-hearted or like in such a humorous way and that we don't have to talk it in a very like heavy academic complicated way but you kind of bring in a lot of humor and self-irony let's say so there's very different reactions but what i find the most exciting is how the audience interacts with each other how there was a situation in the last performance where three west germans were explaining each other how how the piece functioned um, which is interesting but again, this piece is, and it's always interesting because you hear from the voice very quickly if this person has shared experience or not. But this piece is for people with, yeah, with an East German experience who we really want these generations to talk to each other because that's what's missing. And by the level of avoiding it, struggling to say, I don't want to, like there were a younger couple who were saying, we don't want to name ourselves East German. We, we come from the new states and not compared to the old states, which is West Germany. There's a lot of exit strategies not to be able to not not wanting to deal with the topic and throughout the generations. What it's interesting if the audience that often stays 45 minutes or an hour, it's not like it's 10 minutes and then they leave, but loads of things are like opened up there and people discuss so many things and sometimes talk for each other. There's like little discussions happening, sometimes fights. And this is very exciting very very exciting i feel like everyone agrees to the piece in a way but often they can't agree with each other it's interesting that a conversation starts and the conversations opens up and no one leaves kind of unchanged or no one leaves that piece without being affected and often people think about it for days or write me emails later so you feel like it's stirring up a lot and this is we are really really happy about that because that's what we wanted to do with that project when are you uh, performing it again? That's a very good question. We have only one date. Uh, I hope it's confirmed. Um, 1st of May in Schneeberg im Erzgebirge, which is like the Ore Mountain, close to the Czech border, let's say, in a small town there. And that's the only date for now. Soon we will start working on new dates. And so again, this piece is mostly for small town communities. But of course, we would like to show it also in, I think I would like to show it in Berlin to an audience that I think not in a typical theater venue. I think it 
should be like kind of a space that is maybe related to East German experiences, even though it's hard to <laughs> find that in Berlin. I imagine that yeah, it needs a specific curation and to invite people, journalists, politicians, people who are busy with that topic of East German awareness, because there's many people, and funny enough, many people in Berlin who are busy working with that topic and starting to dig into that, especially from younger generations. And that makes me personally very, very happy to see that people who were born in the 90s and onwards are claiming this East German perspective, East German experience Uh, without going back into nostalgia and saying we need to rebuild this East German state. It's not about that, but to claim the experience or the East German consciousness and Ostbewusstsein. There's like one journalist, Valerie Schönier, and she wrote a book about it. And it, it really, I find it so empowering to see how a younger generation wants to open up these layers of history and to how can we transform them as a part of our identity that we don't need to so into the trash bin or feel ashamed about, but understand it as one part of our identity that has imprinted us and made, uh, yeah, pr um, I say, brought a lot of values where we established a certain value system. And I think there it becomes very interesting. On that note, I think uh, I want to uh, move towards the very last part of uh, this podcast, which is, uh, of course, connected to food. Uh -huh. uh, since um, I am actually creating a little cookbook with all the recipes of uh, the New East wow. part, every guest has to tell a little bit for the ending about uh, favorite uh, food or taste of home, wherever it is for you. Uh, wow, that comes as a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I on purpose didn't put it in the draft. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, um, my partner is a cook and my mom gave us like this cooking book from GDR Times. And it's very interesting how these recipes are done. It's like with loads of margarine instead of butter. Super strange combinations. Um, I totally feel you, yeah. That uh, I don't find very exciting. <laughs> it's funny because, hmm, how can I say, there's one recipe that is a bit like let's say, a bit famous. I think I would also come to other ones. I always think about Solyanka, but it's not so much East German because that's more Solyanka. I actually thought it's more East German, right? East German. Yeah. Once actually I work in a in a Eastern European cafe and I, I made Solyanka and then uh, there was two people coming. One was East German or like former East uh, and uh, the other one was former West and uh, then uh, the the Eastern was explaining to the Western what Solyanka is like ah you're in the West you have no idea about Solyanka <laughs> did you have that in your childhood the soup I had it I think my mom never made it my mom what is also strong and this is also related maybe to Saxony there's a lot of baking culture also so lots of cakes and It was very normal on a Sunday to make like a huge cake, especially in the summer with all the fruits and very simple. And But German love, their three o'clock coffee and cake. But it also is like very much like you invite family to come over and then there's a cake. So this is something that feels very traditional, almost more traditional than people get more together around coffee and cake than around like lunches that you provide for days or something. I feel there's more like this. That's actually where people get to their best, I feel. Also, like, in church community, there was, like, when there was, like, a church party, there was not, like, a meal of, like, like a salty plate, but it was, like, a buffet of, like, 30 different cakes. I feel like that's something... I don't know if it's East German, but it's definitely Saxon tradition of having very... Yeah, like, this, this pride of, like, cakes. Are you continuing that tradition? Are you, like, inviting friends for cafe and kuchen? <laughs> Maybe I should. Uh, not so much, actually. I'm more into cooking, actually. Yeah. Thank you so much, Burkhardt, for uh, this uh, conversation. I think we touched uh, upon a lot of topics and I'm going to place all the links to your website also so people can follow the new um, schedule for 2022. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the show in Berlin. Perhaps I'm also going to meet uh, the other two um, collaborators and maybe we can record something else again. That would be lovely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
This was it for today. Thank you for reaching till the end of this episode. I will see you next time with another great artist and speaker. And as mentioned at the beginning, you can support this podcast via Patreon on patreon.com slash kitchen conversations. Or alternatively, you can also help me develop this platform by making a one-time donation, following my Instagram account, or leaving a comment on one of the podcast players. All of the needed links are placed in the show notes of this episode. Take good care. Until next time.